The following is a Just Green production brought to you by the Might Be News Network. Hello, everyone. Hopefully you can hear us. This is our first show for the Novak and Franz show. How you doing, Novak? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, can we lower the music a little bit? Kind of hard <laughs> to talk during a fucking full blown rock show. <laughs> I respect did, uh, it and all, but did Carl of the Moxie uh, compose this song? That's what I hear. Yeah. So with us today we have, of course, Brandon Novak. Yours truly, Joe Franz. We got Taylor. We got Craig Schumard, CJ, and uh, we also have the Greek who's messing around Fuck. with his phone on Tinder. What's up, Greek? Greek so, and I go way back. I'll explain that later. Does the music have to play throughout the whole thing? Yeah, let's fucking dead <laughs> you, this you shit. You really hit the music. Don't I can't. You? I can't do this. When we did Radio Bam, did you did you like the music? Did you? Well, I liked it, but it was like a intro and then it cut to us talking. Yeah, you know, I felt like I was talking during a rock concert. So uh, as probably everyone listening to this knows, uh, Novak and I uh, are working on several projects right now. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I have to talk to him about once a day. But one thing I've never asked you about, and I've always been meaning to, and I always forget because we always have business at hand is, and I never thought I'd say this, but you saved someone's life. Yeah, I did. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Well, how come everything we say, we're going to get to it in a second? <laughs> I'm not ready to go there yet. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> no, I think we, I think it's imperative to tell people why we feel this show is important. Well, I, I like the idea. When we first started talking about this, we were exploring several different avenues of some kind of web show or some kind of live show or podcast. And it was important to us to do a show that was live and a show where people could call in. Communication is extremely important, and uh, you know, I one of the things I always loved about doing Radio Bam is the fact that we could take live calls. Until, of course, uh, our show began to get censored because we were on Sirius Radio, which was supposed to be the thing that didn't get censored. Yeah, I think that really adds to the authenticity of the show to be, uh, you know, as transparent as one can be and let the callers feel like they're involved. So we both were very big fans of that. But when we were toying around with the idea of a podcast. I thought it was brilliant for you, Franz, and myself to team up and do this because we couldn't come from two more opposite spectrums of life, right? But somehow the power of the universe has brought us like to an even accord where we're on the same page with most things, but come from completely two different backgrounds. So I think it's a really imperative and interesting concept. Uh, of two completely different like different people with such like minds, if that makes sense, to kind of expand, explore, talk about their views on things. Yeah, and, and it's weird because we have both done dramatically different things, but a lot of the same things. Like, for example, we both worked in restaurants. And uh, oh, our first caller of the day, <laughs> that's supposed to be on silence, CJ. Thank you. <laughs> Way to fuck up already, CJ. We're not even two <laughs> minutes into this. So... um. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, we, we both worked a lot in the, in the restaurant industry. I mean, I've been a, a television show producer and a cinematographer and a, a teacher. I was an administrator at a prison. You were at a prison. <laughs> yeah. you know. So. That's the thing. Franz has all these, like, credentials, letters in front and behind his name. Really did the whole education route. And, and I did none of that. You know, I got my GED in prison. Um, uh, and I did drugs. 
you know, and, and now we're business partners. We're, we're, we're doing something for the greater good of humanity, which I really find interesting. Yeah, it is weird. I never, I never really looked at it like that, but you know, I mean, our first book dream seller has helped, uh, you know, tens of thousands of addicts, uh, recover worldwide. And it's, uh, you know, I get a lot of compliments on the insights that, uh, stop bragging. I, <laughs> all right, well, you get a lot of compliments too, Novak. So that'll make it, uh, that'll make it okay. But should we make the announcement, uh, about the graphic novel? Well, I guess I Not, just did, uh, didn't uh, I? Yeah. Uh, all right, we got a graphic novel coming out. So let's go to the lines. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take some calls. All right. Oh, for mean. Christ's sake, he's not going to be our first caller. <laughs> Jesus first Christ. Call. Two people I hate the most, Greek and Tim, and they're both in the same room with me. All right, let's talk about the graphic novel. So, okay. Uh, I, you know, I've always been a big comic book fan and graphic novel fan, you know, from Mad Magazine to Weirdo, everything from like Robert Crumb to Daniel Close to Peter Bagg. And I always wanted to do this. And in writing the sequels, The Dream Seller, I always, uh, I, I had a bunch of extra stories I couldn't use anywhere. So I was like, why not do a graphic novel? Which to interject really quickly, because I don't want to get too far off topic, because I'll forget. Um, when I ended up in my 13th inpatient treatment center, right, I, I walked in there literally with the clothes on my back, eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant, fit into a bag, doubles a pillow, four cigarette butts I picked off the ground, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order. No one was talking to me. No one was accepting my calls. No one cared how I was doing. They were tired of wasting their time and efforts on me. But you, Franz, the one who had discounted me quite some time ago, and I'm pretty sure you wrote me off, for some reason, and it still baffles me, you would come every Sunday. And you were the only person that would come visit me every Sunday. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know if you saw something different or what the, what the deal was, but you would come up there and, and you would kind of walk with me through this journey and, and you would start talking about these projects that we had. And we hadn't uh, completed the second book, which came out about nine months or a year ago. Um, and then there was some slight talk of the graphic novel, but but it wasn't even close to coming to fruition. So. So, uh, oh, uh, we, wait, well, well, real quick, put the, put them on hold for a second, CJ. We, we, we do have a call. But yeah, so. When you were in your last rehab, it was uh, spring of 2015. Yeah. And I just remember that um, I looked at all of your other rehabs as something you went into with the best intentions. But, you know, this last time I decided to go through, <laughs> CJ, just tell them the whole. <laughs> we don't have to take the call immediately. <laughs> <laughs> He's panicking. <laughs> we're, 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 we're fucking with you. Okay. So anyway, so uh, your so your last time in rehab. So uh, all your other prior times in rehab, I, I looked at them as you know you went into these things with the best of intentions, but it was I knew that when you got out, you had a, basically a clean bill of health, and you could assimilate back into society and do the same thing all over again. And I saw this this self destructive pattern of behavior. So the last time you were in a rehab, I said, you know, I'm just going give to it, give it one more shot. We weren't friends anymore. I, when, you were, when you did 10 and a half months uh, over in George W. Hill Prison, I didn't come to visit you. Um, you hated me, and I resented you, and I always thought we had a lot of potential in working together. But then I, like, went crazy and said I was going to sue you. All yeah. this outlandish fucking behavior. Yeah. I mean, you would make my life a living hell. But when I 
went to that final rehab and I saw you in there and I took a look around and I was like, where is everyone, Brandon? Where are all your friends? And you're like, you're it. You know? Fuck. I know. I was, I was like, Boy, things are a lot worse for you than I thought. And uh, so I don't know. There was a lot of healing there. And that's how I met CJ, who was here. CJ was the only other guy coming to uh, coming to see you. And uh, I don't know. I, I never thought that you would be literally the face of sobriety. I mean, what? You're on television and the news and morning talk, yeah. what, four times a month? You, At you, least. And, uh, you know, you, you have a, a toll-free number that people can always call in order to uh, in order to, to get into a rehab. And you take those calls day and night. I see you with that second phone walking around, texting all the time and, and getting people the help that they need. It's, I, it's rather crazy because I bought into the concept that, that my defects could become my biggest assets with the slightest shift of perception, right? Because I learned that my mentality will create the reality for which I live in. And if I could just change my perception, I could literally change my world. And they taught me in that treatment center, boys do what they want to do, men do what they have to do. It's time for you to suit up, show up, and put one front for the other. And, and you know I hate confrontation at all costs. And, and, and you and I, Franz, we got to this barrier. We got to this this place where we could not move forward because in my mind, and this this only existed in my mind, is is everything world was one big chess game, right? Because I told so many lies and they had to – to align with the other lies and 10 more lies down the road. And, and uh, I didn't know how to get past it, but, but they told me I had to do what I had to do if I wanted to get better. And, 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 and I sat down with you for the first time in my life and I put all my cards on the table. I said, this is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm feeling. This is my insecurities. Uh, th these are my fears. And, 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 and I thought you knew all them, right? Like I thought you knew everything. And you looked at me and, and I'll never forget it. You looked at me and you kind of cocked your head to the left and you said, I had no idea. I had no idea. And it was such a freeing experience because the burden was lifted. All that weight that I was carrying on my shoulders diminished in the blink of an eye. And I think at that very moment, then I became very open and vulnerable with you again. And our relationship kind of was reborn, if you will. And that was actually pretty recent, you know. It's weird because step nine is the most dreaded step in re – and, re and by the way, this isn't a recovery show. This is just a topic we just happen to be on, everybody. But, you know – This kind of brings us to the here and now of how we're here and why we're here, yes, what we're doing. Yes, And And it's it's so strange because step nine is when you have to make amends to the people you've harmed through your addiction. And it's the most dreaded step in sobriety, but it is the most freeing step. I mean, that's what liberates you – from the chains of guilt. Yeah, I, I mean, I really underestimated that step, and 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 I, I did my first one, uh, which was the easiest one, my mother, and I had maybe four months sober at the time, uh, and I went to her and I said, you know, I, I went to her, uh, I, I made, I, I told her everything I had done, asked her if there was anything I had left out, how could I make my wrongs right. And now, mind you, I only had four months sober, and I'm the boy who's cried wolf a lot of times for a lot of years, and, and and I wasn't sure if my words held weight, but I knew that my way no longer worked, so I was willing to follow the suggestions of my predecessors who not only got sober but stayed sober throughout the years, and they said that this was imperative for me to do if I wanted to stay sober. So so I did it, and, and uh, of course, her response was all she wanted back from me is for me to continue on my journey, but something very imperative happened at that moment when she, she forgave me and, and, and wished me well on my journey of sobriety. Although she might not have realized the hard work that I've done to get to this point, I did. And now what had happened was I shedded that, that layer of junky skin that I wore for so many years. So 
even if she didn't look at me different, now I looked at me different. I looked at her different. My perception had changed, and now I'm not expected to steal her purse anymore. Now I'm not expected to burn her house down anymore. Now I'm not expected to rob her of her sleep or rob her of the love she wants to give her son. And it was such a freeing experience. You know, it was like, once again, a lot of reborns, rebirths in this journey. I think it's awesome how you take your mom on cruises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm like, Joe, it's like, you're like, well, I'm going out of town. I'm like, oh, more, you know, more uh, sobriety stuff. You got to go visit your, your, you know, I don't know. Is there someone who needs to check in over rehab? I'm like, no, dude, I'm taking my mom to take my mom on a cruise. In theory, you think that's a great idea. In reality, let me show you what that fucking looked like. We shared a, a room the size of, of this here. So what would you say from that wall to this window is? A kitchen table. A kitchen table, yeah, this, a, a, a small kitchen table that fits four. Oh, man. Um, and, and the beds, we had two single beds in it with maybe three inches in between. I couldn't even fucking jerk off. <laughs> I wanted to jerk off so much, I could not jerk off. But you, when you were high one time, you tried to have sex with your mother. I did. I tried to bang her out. Now, <laughs> now could you imagine that if you were sleepwalking and, oh, never mind. Hey, let's go to the phone. Jesus, Franz. Can't take you anywhere. Okay, so here we go. CJ, come on. This is our first caller, ladies and gentlemen. We're very excited. Oh, it better not be fucking Tim. I don't. I can't hear him. Nope. Our first caller and our first failure. Way to blow that, CJ. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. Um, Yeah. So, uh, so we do have uh, the Brandon Novak Chronicles arrived today so yes. that's that's our graphic novel and uh it is the the first addiction graphic novel ever this is groundbreaking this is monumental you know because i, I travel all around and i speak on the epidemic of the opioids and uh they always say how do we lift the stigma how do we lift the stigma fortunately or unfortunately depending upon one's perception the stigma is lifting because the death toll is rising so that's kind of taking care of itself but what we wanted to do uh, which is why this graphic novel is so imperative is is we want to make addiction more of a conversational piece, right? We want to we want to in in this advocacy work that I do, there's no margin for error, yet it is impossible to do perfect. We're not in an opioid epidemic, we're in an opioid pandemic. 179 people today will die as a direct result of an opioid overdose. That's worse than Vietnam. That's worse than the peak of the AIDS outbreak. And the sad thing is, is these deaths are preventable. So I'm a big fan of doing something. And if something doesn't work, we learn from that something and we do something else. So we decided what has never been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, there's one of the things I like about uh, this graphic novel is it really rings to the uh, the the classic indie days. Like, you know, we're talking like 85 to like the mid 90s. You know, there was this period of, of indie underground comics. So it kind of harkens to that era. And so these are five different unique stories. Some are comedic, some are tragic, uh, some are lighthearted. But, you know, our featured story, which I really like to return to this time in my life, is a CKY story. So it's uh, a frantic race for Novak to walk the white carpet of the VMAs. And um, I don't want to tell you too much about the story, but, you know, we ha- we got Bam, we got Phil and April Margera, we got Ryan Dunn, we got Chris Rabb, we got Ray on and, and these are all true stories. Don I mean, Vito. The, yeah, Don Vito, God rest his soul. We, you know, um, these are all true addiction stories. So it's, We really uh, brought these characters back to life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the first time without actually being filmed on TV that all these people were in 
in a weird way, one room together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of shows each person's character. You know, they, they all have their two cents about my actions and they definitely want to add them in. And uh, it's, you know, it, it really, it, it, each short story kind of is a cautionary tale of, of, of where my way always got me. And, 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 and like letting people know that it was a party. I had a lot of great times, such good times partying, but, but then those good times ended. And, and then I lost the say-so in the matter of if I wanted to continue or not. Mm-hmm. So. What, the, what was the, uh, people always ask what the hardest part about, uh, about going to a rehab is in sobriety. What was the easiest part? Well, for me, the, you know, I do a lot of interviews. They're like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? The craziest thing you've ever done? And they're expecting God knows what for the answer. And I can honestly say the craziest thing I had ever done was walking into that 13th inpatient treatment center, a homeless heroin addict at the age of 35. You know, I found myself at a point in life where I was the kind of alcoholic that wanted to kill himself on a daily basis, but I didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I was horrible at suicide because I kept waking up. I was at a point in my life, the curve looks... The, uh, I was so low, the curb looked like a skyscraper. And and I just didn't know what to do. But I knew that what I had always done no longer worked. So the, the fear of the unknown was was unimaginary, you know? Is that even a word, unimaginary? Uh, unimaginable? Unimaginable. Yeah, we'll go with that. Imaginary? Now you're fucking confusing me. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was like, but the easiest part was, the scariest part was wondering if I was going to get in. Mm-hmm. And then when I got in there, it was you, Franz. You came to me. You said, are you depressed? And I said, no, I feel like I hit the mega millions because I knew if I got one more chance, I was going to take full advantage of it. The scary part was wondering if they were going to get me a bet or not. Once I got in, I, I, the, the pain was great enough. And as we know, pain is an excellent motivator. That gift of desperation that I had experienced um, overcame a sense of willingness unlike anything I've ever known. So I knew if I could just get a bed, I was going to take full advantage and run with this motherfucker because the stakes were too high. I, you know, I did, did things in life that people equate to success or happiness that some even dream of doing. In reality, you know, I'm a, my mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. I ended up on life support for seven days. Um, and, and I was alone. That was the scariest thing. I was alone. I was alone in this world. And I knew it didn't have to be. So what I had realized is, is I went from, from possessing this job and that job consisted of knowing everything to, to walking into that 13th inpatient treatment center, coming to the realization that I know that I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. And my very best thinking continuously gets me here. And the common denominator in my problems are me. The only thing that blocks me from getting better is me. So I went into that last facility without a plan and that lack of plan has produced the pest of plans. Because what I learned in treatment is that expectations are nothing but unfulfilled resentments. So the moment things don't go my way, you don't act as I think you should act, say as I think you should say, or feel as I think you should feel. I'm fucking furious and I'm let down and it's poor me, poor me. You know, when in reality, why not me? Well, caller, do you have a question for uh, Novak or about anything? <laughs> I Look, think I think the caller is just listening to the podcast, and we're on speaker. And they, hung up. And they, <laughs> I think he was confused. So, but yeah, so Novak, that's one of the things. It's funny how you say that um, you could open your, yourself up to sobriety once you admit 
you knew nothing. That That's a concept that's been around for thousands of years. So back in ancient Greece, there was a guy uh, called Socrates. Here's so, the both ends of the spectrum. This is where Fran gets all fucking nerdy. No, no, this, this is interesting because no, he, he theorized that if you, if, if you can admit you know nothing, you open yourself up to the entire world. And uh, the Socratic method is a great way to prove other people wrong too, which, which is interesting. So um, you're right, I'm getting off on a tangent. But, but you know, the, the, the thing about admitting you know nothing is so hard for people to do. You know, hearing like an opposing viewpoint is it causes people pain, and it's it's so weird to uh, when you talk to people and they don't want to learn anything. I, I and you, you see it all the time. You know, as as human beings, we're reluctant to get out of our comfort zone and and out of our habits. You know, it's uh, you know, I, I think it's one of the one of the chains of mankind. And then you take an addict, right? An addict and an alcoholic, at least for myself, the core of my disease is I'm selfish and I'm self-centered, right? So it's me, 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 me. And if I have three minutes to spare you, but only if it benefits me. So what that tells me is that I'm defiant by nature and I do not like authority and I will not conform unless it's my idea. So it all comes back to self because they told me if you change your perception, you can change your world. The drugs and alcohol were not my problem. They were my solution. Take my solution away. I'm left with the real problem at hand, which is me, my thinking, my attitude, my behavior. Uh, the, the world doesn't have to get right with me. I have to get right with it. Gotcha. So everything comes back to self. All right. So we're going to try call number three here on the first episode of the Novak and Franz show. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Hey, holy shit. I'm shocked. It works. Something <laughs> worked. Uh, Hello? Yeah, go ahead, caller. What's your name? My name's Eric. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Eric. What, what do you up? do? Oh, man. I just want to uh, give a big shout out to, to Novak, man. You guys, you really made an impact on uh, my brother and uh, myself's childhood with CKY and everything. Uh, I got my brother out in... Uh, uh, Oaks Recovery right yeah, now. Doing yeah, yeah. Uh, I do a lot of work yeah, with them. So I, I, yeah, right. No, I've had uh, Tim Ryan to my house here. We're in a uh, suburb of Chicago. My mom lives in Naperville. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. No, I, I appreciate everything you guys are doing, man. Yeah. You guys are doing one hell of a job. Thanks for calling, man. God bless you, and, brother. And Eric, you know Tim Ryan? I do know Tim Ryan. He actually lived uh, down the block from my mother here in Chicago. You should probably I'm move. I'm in Chicago right now. <laughs> yeah, I would move if I was you. Move you got to get away, away from that guy. <laughs> no, he's he's a good oh, friend. Yeah. I love I love him. And uh, th thanks for calling, Eric. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. God bless you. No problem. Bye, right, brother. Uh, most definitely. Appreciate so it's uh so tim ryan just we wouldn't let him through so he had to make his neighbor call to get through <laughs> <laughs> yeah tim tim ryan is one of the guys who kind of like mentored novak oh don't the, say that in the in the early days he did oh my god uh, his ego is through the roof right now he's probably calling <laughs> cj on repeat over and over and over <laughs> is he is that who's calling is it tim ryan oh he will <laughs> don't you worry okay yeah go ahead caller Hey, this is Creech. Yo, hey Creech, hey, what's what up? up, man? How are you? Pretty good, man. I just wanted to. I'm in the middle of filming something, but I did want to call in and just congratulate you on the first podcast. Thank you, sir. Yeah, man, appreciate that. Following in your footsteps, my brother. How you been keeping busy, man? You've been uh, <clears throat> you've been filming a lot. What have you been doing? 
Yeah, yeah. I've uh, just went, just came back from Raleigh. Did some uh, interviews with like Barry Bostwick and uh, a couple of the actors from Rocky Horror up there, and just uh, doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes with Dave and Creech. And we just uh, just been working that that end for the most part. Who's the uh, most famous person you ever interviewed? Oh, um, that's, that's a, I mean, personally, I, I think, uh, probably Robert England. Um, I don't know. Cause I, I grew up with Nightmare on Elm Street. So interviewing Freddie was pretty big for me, but I mean, I've interviewed most of the cast of the walking dead. I know that's a really big show. So maybe, maybe some of them, so if it's still on the news, didn't the guy from, um, what was it? Breaking bad intimidate you during an interview? Didn't he scare you? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I interviewed uh, the guy who played Walter Jr., uh, R.J. Mitty, and I interviewed uh, Gus, who's now on Better Call Saul as well. That was John Carlo Esposito. Yeah, th- those were those were pretty big too. But he scared you. He intimidated you. He he basically acted yeah, like oh, yeah, his, yeah. his gangster character on the 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 drug dealer character on the show, and you were buying the act. Yeah, yeah, no, the whole interview, he was completely in character, uh, intimidated the, the hell out of me. Um, like, there's there's literally a, a picture of me, like, mid-interview laughing, trying to keep it light, and he's just got this death stare on. Um, and, I, I, like, I seriously didn't know if he was going to answer my question or slit my throat with a, with, a, with a blade. It was intimidating, and it wasn't until after we finished the interview, and after the uh, the cameras turned off, that he, he he winked at me and laughed, uh, and let me know that, that he was he was basically you know fucking with me the whole time. That's awesome. Probably made for an interesting listen. <laughs> Did uh, yeah. have, have you been watching the new uh, season four of Better Call Saul? Not yet. I've got the first two episodes on my DVR, so I'm definitely gonna check it out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I. I can't get enough of that whole universe of shows. Yeah, I mean that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, that that's my favorite show right now. Is Better Call Saul. Love that. Love that show. All right, yeah, well, Creech. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, yeah, we're stepping on each other. Hey, uh, Creech, thank you so much for calling in and uh, and wishing us well, man. We appreciate it, and and I love you. I oh, love you all too, man. Take all care, right, again. Late. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know who uh, Creech is, you got to check him out on Twitter. Uh, see, I, I know he has a weird Twitter name. I don't even remember. It's one of those ones with like weird vowels. It doesn't even make sense. And I was like, how come you don't get your name is Creech? How come you don't have a cool Twitter name? And he's like, I don't know. I just signed up for the first one they gave me. It was the biggest mistake ever. Well, that's like your email. Your email's retarded. It's like, don't say I'm it. I'm not going to say it, but fuck's <laughs> sake, man. Make it simple. For it is sake. simple. There's no dots, no dashes, no. It, they're it's like 19 words. letters. All right, we have another caller, Novak. We'll continue this heated debate later. Dead air. What do we got? Hey, how are you, caller? Fine, Brandon. How are you doing? I'm good, my friend. What can we do for you? Um, I've been not a, uh, drug addict or, or an alcoholic or anything. I've been going through a lot of, uh, stuff. A few months ago, I, uh, I, uh, broke up with my, uh, girlfriend. There was, she had a lot of, uh, per, uh, family issues and she wanted to, uh, 
move out and I wasn't uh, ready along with myself. I had some uh, personal issues and uh, I just felt very lost and confused and stuff. And I was wondering, like, if you can help uh, help me out with um, trying to put some positive uh, aspects into into things for me. I think you should um you should really uh, open up and embrace this experience. Embrace what you feel. Don't deny your feelings because it's it's only through hard times do I find growth. Right? Like I don't deep in uh, I don't dig deep into to what I can really. Uh, obtain or tap into if everything is stagnant right everything's stagnant i just kind of go on my life and i tread water at best but it's it's through these like unpleasing or unwelcoming times do i really tap into what i'm really really potential what my real real potential is that that i wouldn't know existed if it wasn't through these times of uncomfort or dis-ease um, so I think you should embrace it and I think you should feel it and I think you should find a purpose and a passion and, and, and really grow from this. But it's all perception, man. It's perception. What brings you your pain, caller? Where, where does this stem from? When do you feel it? Um, right now, um, I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. I'm just every once in a while I'll get um, I guess depression and thoughts of like suicide because she was like my first long time girlfriend. I loved her a lot, but she had a lot of family issues, uh, negative issues. And it, um, and it kind of like trapped me into, um, having all these negativities because, um, her father came from another country and he doesn't understand like the American way of how to live and how to deal with different situations. So I basically, we all basically had to, uh, walk on eggshells when he was home. We couldn't talk about, uh, certain things. Um, I see what the, you mean. So, he, right. So he's like from an old world environment and, you know, strict and, uh, uh, adhered to his old ways. Well, look, you know, sometimes, um, well, throughout our lives, we're constantly saying goodbye to people who we loved and cared for and needed. And that's part of the process of life. And that's going to happen. So, you know, mm -hmm. re regardless of the circumstances, you could have the best circumstances in the world, all the money in the world, the best education in the world, the best, best place to live you will still lose people that mean a lot to you. So that's yeah. going to happen. And, you, and you know, so come to grips with that. But the other thing is change is, is constant. You know, it, it's, you're constantly changing and growing. And um, through your weaknesses, that's how we create our strengths. You know, where you feel empty, you're going to want to fulfill that part of, of your soul. So you need to concentrate yeah. on positivity and, you know, like Brandon says, you know, it, feel how you're feeling and come to grips with it, but use that as an opportunity to grow. How, how long were you with her? Uh, three and a half years. Okay. Uh, did you really, really truly love her? Yes. Uh, very, uh, very much for 
I don't know what reason, uh, something just, I was feeling all these weird, um, emotions, mm-hmm. uh, cause, um, my, uh, dad, uh, retired from his full-time job and then my sister got married and bought a house and we helped her move in the next day. And it, everything was all happening at once. And then, um, sure. It big, took you out of your him. comfort zone. I, I get it. But what I, what I, what I mean when I say, do you really love her? Right. If you really love her, like you say, you loved her, then, then enjoy the memories that you shared with her. Right. Don't take those for mm-hmm. granted because it's all perception. Why don't we look at like that you got to spend three and a half years with such a beautiful woman, that you got to experience three and a half years with a partner whose company that you truly enjoyed, um, that she chose to share it with you, right? And and then it's this fucking, Mm -hmm. this hallmark saying that I feel guilty giving this advice, but it's true. If you truly love her like you say you do, then you would want her to be as happy as one could be, whether that's with you or without Mm -hmm. you. And if it's meant to be, yeah. it comes back. But just look at it for what it is and what you gained, right? It's really easy to look at what we don't have or what's wrong with the world. But if we look at it from a different perception uh, or perspective, you can uh, be grateful that you spent three and a half years with such a beautiful woman who you love so much and shared this feeling unlike anything you've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, and we, um, when everything uh, went down. She brought all of her, um, uh, was it, uh, all the, all the female questions. Was it this? Was it, is it because I'm, uh, weight because of how my body is shaped and, and all this stuff. And it, re- it really wasn't like I didn't truly love her, but it was just the fact with, I guess, I guess with everything going on, I wasn't ready to commit into something big, and I don't like changes at at all. Well, who the fuck I does like changes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Who the fuck does like changes? You know, I'm a creature of comfort and habit. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is the worst answer that you want to hear. But time takes time. Time yeah. takes time. What What does make you happy right now? Where where do you find uh, your joy? Makes me, uh, right, uh, right now I've been uh, going to the going to the gym, uh, trying to um, whatever is bothering me at work or at home or whatever. I go to the gym and work out. I feel better. Um, going, getting exercise. I've been trying to do uh i hear meditation is is a uh, really good because you relieve all negative issues yeah and yeah yeah you you're more at yeah doing things with your body is one of the best things you can do to ease your mind you know i mean you know, w- you know working out or meditation or anything like that i mean you know there's it can help you relax and it can help you release stress. So you're doing the right thing. Colin. And continue to talk about it. Do not suppress your feelings and share with people where you're at openly, right? Cause left to our own devices, I will become the biggest victim in the world. And then I turn into why me, why me, why me in the reality? Why the fuck not me? You know, uh, it's just yeah. life. It's life. 
you know, you're going to go through yeah, things. It's the life. So uh, keep uh-huh. doing what you're doing. You're on the right path, my friend. All right? Uh, I'll, you'll be in my right. prayers. Take care. Thanks for calling. All right. Thank you. I'm a big fan, Novak. Thank Congratulations you, on your uh, sobriety. Uh, God bless you, man. Take care. Thank you. That, you know, man, that was, uh, I kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of stabbed me in the heart a little bit listening to that story, you know. But I guess, I guess, Brand, with what you do, you know, with taking people's phone calls and getting them into, uh, getting them into rehab and stuff like that and get people into recovery, you, you, I guess you're trained to deal with things like that, huh? Yeah. You know, what, what, what I try to do is, is I meet people where they're at. Right, not where I think they should be or where I expect them to be headed, and then I kind of like help them tailor tailor a plan that will work for them with their ideas. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they they don't want to be told what to do. So I share with them my experience and how my journey played out when I did what I did, and and, and when we find the similarities, then they all of a sudden feel like they're not alone. So holy shit you did this too you've been through this and if you've been through it made out the other side then that means that i can do it you know and then it becomes attraction rather than promotion right because Mm -hmm. i said i'm defiant by nature i do not like authority and i will not conform you tell me what i need to do i tell you i need to fuck off but if you share with me about yourself your trials your tribulations and they're very similar to mine then i'm recognized the similarities and, and not discounting whatever right um and then it becomes obtainable. It becomes achievable. And then there's power in numbers. Were you happy at any point? Like, were you happy when you were uh, on drugs? Yeah. Yeah, I was. You were happy? There was some points in time. There, it was fleeting. It was very, it, it was quick. It was brief. Um, and, and it wasn't real. What made you happy? The, the fact that I could kind of escape, the, no, it is this. Uh, what made me happy is the fact that I could escape the reality that I had created for myself. I don't think that's happiness. I think that's contentedness. Well, for me at the time, it was happiness because that was hell, right? When I would have that moment of clarity and I would see life for what it really was and knowing that I had created it, I had made it this way, I was willing to do whatever I could to escape it. And the fastest avenue was drugs and alcohol. So I would do that and it, and it would probably, it, it would, it would, it would give me temporary times of relief. Right. So, and to me, that was, that was joy, mm. you know? I see. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see it all the time. Um, but then the bag would run empty. The bottle would run thin. The pills would be gone. And then that moment of clarity would set in. And, and I'd have to get another bag, bottle, or pill, and I would do that, and all these grand illusions would reappear where this was it. I was going to be done. I'm going to ride off in the sunset with this woman. We're going to start this business. Franz, you and I are going to write 10 more books. We're going to do whatever. And then the high would wear off. And, and, and then my life looked like the movie Groundhog's Day. Yeah, you were saying one time you were, uh, you were, you were super high one night, then you saw a, a house that was uh, – uh, you, you were in Baltimore, you saw a, a row home that was for sale and it needed a lot of work. And in your mind, you were like, oh, you know, I could probably borrow enough money to, to, uh, to get this fixed up. Then I'll turn around and sell it for twice as much. Then I'm going to buy two houses 
and then I'm going to live in one and sell the next, and I'm going to get two houses from that, and that'll be four, and that'll be eight, and soon I'll... And slowly, as the bag wears off, it, just by the end of it, it's just like, I'm never going to get $5 from anyone to buy a house. Like, I don't have the discipline it takes. Like, so I guess I guess that's what I mean by what you were saying about the delusions of grandeur. Like, you yeah. you could create this uh, this this illusion that everything was going to be okay. And then reality is when the bag started wearing empty, I, I wasn't like, I can't even get five bucks for this house. It was like, how am I going to get five bucks for another bag? Mm. Right? So the thoughts of owning that house and, and turning into an entrepreneur of, of real estate fucking disappeared immediately when the high started to escape me. Did you ever think that you could get someone help and you, you couldn't? Like, like, would, uh, like, um, friend of mine needed some help a little while ago and uh i really thought my friend was going to be okay mm-hmm. so i wrote my friend a note and i put it in her she kept like a journal and uh i recently got that note back because she's dead mm-hmm. you know yeah. and uh you know her or a family member gave me that note and you know the note said you know she, she was doing heroin and uh the note said uh you know, in, in this, uh, I put the heroin in this envelope and I wrote on the envelope, you, you know, in this envelope is, uh, is your future or your death. And, uh, what's the, did you ever meet someone you thought you could help and you couldn't? Yeah. Yeah. But after doing a lot of internal work on myself, right. Um, what I learned, what I've come to experience is, is I'm not a religious person, but I'm very, very spiritual and I'm not powerful enough to kill anybody, and I'm not powerful enough to save anybody, right? I can be used as the vessel to God willing guide them in the direction to, to, for them to find the answer that they're looking for or that they need or want. But um, prime example, I, I was in Baltimore, and I was working with this family for like a month, right? And, and, and I had been working with them. I went down to Baltimore. I stayed there for a week. I went out with the family multiple occasions. I, I went out with the, the son who I was helping, and he agreed to go to treatment. Right? He finally agreed to go to treatment. And he was a tough sell. He, did not, he, he didn't want to do this at all. And, I, and I'm good at what I do, but this guy I just couldn't crack. We get to BWI Airport. Him and I are going to fly together to a facility in Florida, my facility that I work for, Banyan Treatment Center. And... And, and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, they, they start boarding. And I can see this, this demonic spirit come over him, right? He went from a very rational person to now reality is setting in. He's about to board this flight and, and get really out of his comfort zone. Um, and, and he's starting to see it for what it is. And, and I'm not even talking to the same person. I have two phones, and, and he's giving me every excuse in the book of why he can't go. Uh, his bills won't be paid. I, I make a phone call. I, I put him on the phone with the person. They say, don't worry, your bills will be paid. My girlfriend's going to leave me. I call my other phone. I, I use it, call his girlfriend. His girlfriend says, I'm not going to leave you. My job's going to fire me. I'm calling the job. I'm diffusing every ammunition he comes with me with. And then he finally he just says, the, the door's shutting. They said, you got to go. You got to go. He says, um, I'm not going. And I'm like, oh, this kid's going to die. He's absolutely going to die. And, and and when I turned around to put my bags on the chair to make a phone call to have a car pick us up from the airport, I turned back around and he was gone. He ran. Wow. He disappeared. Wow. I, I really felt like I lost. I, I've never Whoa. felt so defeated, right? And I go out 
and I and I called Tim Ryan and I, I said, Tim, how did this happen? Like I lost this guy. He's gonna die. And Tim said to me, he said, Did you stay sober another hour? I said, Yep. And he said, You can't put a price tag on that. So ultimately you won that battle. And I said, Okay. So that changed my perception a little bit. Here's the point of the story. Wait, wait, you watched him run away? No, I put my, turned around to put my- Oh, as your back was turned. And then as I turned around, I could see him way up in the distance, his That's back. That's disheartening though, that vision. Yeah, you know, I of, saw his of back someone as he bent the corner. fleeing their sobriety. Yeah. Like, like he was that afraid uh-huh. that he had to run full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could not face it for what it was. Man, that's insane. And- so, so then about a month and a half passes, I thought about this kid every day and I said, you know, he, he, if he's not dead, he's going to die. Lo and behold, he calls me one day and he said, I didn't, I, first off, I want to apologize. I said, you have nothing to apologize for. I, I did what you've done. I, I get it. And he said, I didn't go to treatment that day, but I went a week later hmm. and now I have 30 days clean. And Hey, I have two of my friends here with me and they need help. Can you help them? So ultimately, he got sober, and then he connected me with two of his friends that needed help. So this guy that I thought was a lost cause, if not dead already, defied odds and logic. He got sober, stayed sober, and then found two people that needed my help, and I helped those people. That's what you call getting paid in dividends. <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. it really. That, that's... And, and, and to equate it to my vocabulary, I like to call it being divinely inconvenienced. Or convenience, depending upon your perception. Mm-hmm. Because I couldn't see it at the time. And that's when I realized I'm not powerful enough to save anyone's life or kill anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't have that power in me. Yeah, a friend of mine was so terrified to go. Now, this guy this guy was... <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say he's your stereotypical Irishman. No, I'm like, no. So my, my buddy I, that I used to live with, we used to make fun of him all the time. And... and because he could never hold a job, he drank a lot, and uh, he was lazy, and he, um, it got worse though. It got to the point where we couldn't joke about it anymore because it was fucked up. And you know, he's he's the kind of guy who always owed you money and never paid you back, but always had money for cigarettes. And you'd be like, "Well, how'd you afford those cigarettes?" And he's, "Dude, I gotta have my smokes." You know what I mean? Priorities. Yeah. So, so now he starts stops paying rent and all this shit. Now his rent's building up. Now he's apologizing to why he can't pay his rent. You know, sorry, dude. Work's really kicking my ass. It's like, dude, I'm working for the both of us, motherfucker. Like, I'm paying both our rents and bills. What do you mean work's kicking your ass? How about doing more overtime, anything? Like, what are you spending it on? Well, he's getting drunk with it, right? Yeah. So I kick him out of the house, and then he moves into the next place. So he moves in with his best childhood buddy. He kicks him out. Sorry, so now he's getting so now he's like living in some uh in some like loser little place with people who doesn't even care about and everything. So we decide and we hear he's really bad. And when we see him on the street, he's always drunk. So we decide we're gonna have a uh a uh what do you call it? A, an intervention, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't know anything about him. We just knew you pick the person's ass up and you take him to the place. <laughs> so we 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 this is crazy. We convinced him to go. He said, I, I got to go upstairs. I got to get something. Well, we had no idea that what he was going to get was drunk. Absolutely. So, dude, he had like one of those big bottles of tequila, you know, the like not like the flasks, like the fucking 
you know, the, the like a leader thing. Yeah. Or whatever yeah. The, he drank the whole fucking thing. Yeah. And crunch the doctor. It's crunch time. Yeah. <laughs> Clock's running down. And we didn't know it. So we're taking him in the car. Boom. He goes into t- complete shutdown. We're like, what the fuck just happened? So we take him now. We're taking him to the fucking hospital. And the doctor said, dude, the doctor said that he's never seen blood alcohol level higher than that. And he, he's like, another 15 minutes, he would have gone into kidney, shut down, coma, died the whole, the whole nine yards of, of, of severe alcohol poisoning. It's like, it's, he would rather kill himself. He had to have known that would kill him. Like he'd rather die than be sober. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you, you, you're so disconnected from reality, the abnormal becomes the normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the animalistic level is where we live and where we stay, and it's, 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 a, it's a survival. It's a game of survival. Um, and it's our answer to everything. It's, it's there for us when no one else is, right? And when we're drinking and drugging, we force people to leave us for the safety of themselves and us. But that one thing is always there. And it comforts us. It loves us. It never leaves us. It shows up. It's reliable. It's dependable. Um, and, and, it, and it allows me to produce this delusional effect that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard Pryor, I, I love, you know, Richard Pryor, they call him, not a lot of people talk about him anymore, but I feel as people used to call him the funniest man in the world, right? And he had this, he was one of the first comedians to talk about his personal life. Until he came around, guys are standing up and telling knock-knock jokes. You know, and he's a and he had he had a very hard life. He he had to manage swift fame and a lot of money, and he did you know he did a lot of drugs. I mean, he had several heart attacks and was always going to the hospital, and cops were always coming to the house, and there was a lot of turbulent uh, situations in his life. But he was when he would talk about cocaine, he has this one routine where he says, you know, everything's going wrong. He's in a fight with the wife, and the cocaine says, "It's okay, Rich." Everything's gonna be okay. Here, just you just come with me. Everything's gonna and like when he says it, it's funny because it's so tragic. Yeah, you know, and like you can actually laugh because you can feel how much pain he was in to to like have cocaine be his best friend and beckon him in that way. And then literally the pain he was in because at the end of that skit, if I'm not mistaken, he lights the match and he's like, "What's this?" And the, the match is lit, and he's like, it's me running down the street. Because remember, he lit his hair on yeah, fire, and he yeah. ran down the street. He's like a little black well, stick well, with he, a head of fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he was, one of the, he was one of the first uh, uh, freebasers. Yeah. You know? And um, so, for those of you who don't know what it is, that's, that's when you smoke cocaine. And that's, uh, you know, cocaine is, uh, there's a lot of different processes with how they make it. But uh, sometimes it's, it's made with, uh, I don't know, gasoline, kerosene, uh different flammable fucking chemicals it's processed with. And so sometimes the, the, the chemicals get caught. And so he blew up <laughs> and he, he was literally running. He, when he left his house, he's running down the street on fire. And he, and he says, the first thing in his mind is, please don't let it burn my dick. <laughs> so he's pissing as he's running down the street to try and find help while he's on fire and high on cocaine. <laughs> And he's trying to piss himself to keep his dick from burning. Which, impressive. Yeah, yeah. Impressive. Yeah, I would have forgot about the dick. Yeah. But, but then again, I would have thought, please don't let the crack burn up. That'd be my first thought. It's like, don't let the stash burn. There's a great film about his life. Um, not a lot of people know about it. He actually plays himself. It's called Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. 
And uh, catchy title. Yeah, I think they called it JoJo Dancer was because I think someone else had already bought the Richard Pryor biography rights and they got into some kind of disagreement. I forget why they called it that. But it is a beautiful and very sad film. Isn't that a bitch? He couldn't even use his own name. I know. I had to buy my own fucking name for the website I just developed. I had to buy my goddamn name back. (laughs) My birth given name for my mother. I had to buy it from some fuckwad and God knows what. Oh, I think I know who that is. But I'm not sure. Bet you do. (laughs) Probably you, Franz. It's it's me in disguise. (laughs) Give me my money back. All right, we have a caller. Go ahead. Hello, caller. Hey. How are you? Hey, what's up? Um, hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, well, I wasn't sure if I should call because I'm like, I'm still like drinking and shit, so I'm not sure if the show's like about. It's about whatever the fuck uh, you want it to be. All right, man. That's cool, man. Hey, yeah, hey, uh, no, hey, Novak, uh, I was, uh, I just wanted to tell you, man, that uh, I went to rehab uh, like in February and uh, mm-hmm. they showed they showed one of your videos in there for everybody. And we discussed it and stuff. Oh, wow. I see it yeah, worked it was, real uh, well for you. <laughs> 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 I'm just making light of the situation, well, man. What do you, what do you drink? What, what's your drink of preference? Uh, I drink, uh, vodka. I, I, well, I stopped drinking vodka, man, but I was, I would be, I would be drinking like a fifth every day and shit. Okay. So you don't drink much anymore? No, I, I, uh, I really cut down big time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I drink beers uh, once in a while, but I don't. I was like, uh, I'd be getting blacked out all the time was my problem, man. And uh, I'd just be acting crazy and shit. All right, cool. So, so you don't currently have a problem, uh, or do you? I, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure, man. I mean, uh, I still. I'm not a hundred percent sober, but I'm not. It's not the way that I used to be. I, I uh, are you happy with the like, current you know, position that you find yourself in? Yeah, it's okay. Like you can, yeah. Like no one knows who you. That's one of the great things about uh, call in talk talk shows is no one knows who you are. So, it, like, if you want to let something off your chest, that's by all means. Yeah, by all means, this is the platform to do it. I mean, if you're happy with the current position you find yourself in, fucking right, do what you do. Uh, well, I fucking. Uh, I guess I'm happy that I'm not as bad as I used to be. Like I would, uh, like, you know, I was drinking a fifth of liquor every day and I would, uh, I would be acting like I would, I would black out. I act like a dick to people. I'll be, I've gotten into fights and shit. And I've, I totaled my car, which that's what made me go to rehab. I checked myself in cause I already, I can, you know, it became a point where I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I'm maybe I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to be sober and stuff, but, uh, I think it might be because uh, I live like in a. Maybe it's because I live in a small town and there's not anything to do. Every, like everybody, everybody's on something in this town, man. Right. Well, you know, yeah, when I, I, when like, I, I went know. to treatment, they said, "Look, Novak, we need you to change your people, places, and things, right? Because they could be triggers." For yeah. for myself, right? I was such an extreme case. I didn't have to worry about changing people, places, or things because I had no people. I had no places. And the things, all I owned was the clothes on my back, right? So I didn't really have to do that. But what I learned is that they talk about triggers and what triggers are. The kind of alcoholic that I was, my triggers are when my eyelids opened, right? I'll justify why living in a cornfield makes sense to drink. 
I'll justify when it rains why I should drink, when it snows why I should drink, when I'm happy why I should drink, sad why I should drink. See the pattern there? Um, yeah. What the reality is, is just, just because I stopped drinking doesn't mean the rest of the world is going to stop drinking. But I did the work that it was entailed for me to get sober and stay sober. And what I've come to experience is that I can go anywhere with anybody and do anything. And I don't even think about a drink or think about not drinking. I've truly experienced that freedom from alcoholism and addiction to where it's not even a a thought. It doesn't even cross my mind. And when situations occur, and trust me, they do, I don't even think, hey, a glass of wine would make this feel better. You know what I mean? Because that psychic change has taken place because I did the work that was entailed to get me to where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I understand mean, what you're saying. Yeah. I, what, I mean, caller, what you told us was there's not a lot to do in the town. That's. Oh, no, man. There's... But, okay. So, what you have to understand about where your mind is at right now is that's a reason. You're, you're, you're creating a reason. If, if the town was the most interesting place in the world with all the stuff going on, you'd say, well, man, I need to drink. There's all these great places to go to and they're always drinking. So you will, you're, the way the alcoholic mind works is you create a reason. So one of the best techniques to combat that, and it's, it takes time to do, but time is on your side. What you do is you sit there and you tell yourself, this will pass. This urge will pass. This feeling will go away. And, you know, um, one, of the, one of the techniques they teach you in recovery is you sit for one hour. You don't look at your phone. You don't have any distractions. There's no music. You just sit and you just relax and let your, your thought pattern flow. So maybe if you practice that technique, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider it meditation. It's just a, a discipline technique. Maybe that might help you through. And, and these are, you know, as Franz was just discussing, things that they do with people that are in treatment. Um, but, but going off of what you've shared with us, you're not in treatment and you're actively drinking. And, and I'd have to, like, really talk to you in depth to, to see the weight and severity of your alcoholism. Um, but yeah. if you're at a point in your life where you can't stop on your own, right, the first issue that needs to be addressed is your drinking. Because you can't quit drinking. Drinking. Does that make sense? So it's like we got to yeah. put the drink down first and, and then God willing get you into a facility where therapists, psychiatrists, doctors, physicians, they can help you uncover in order to discover in hopes to recover. Find out the real problem oh. at hand because the drinking is not the problem. It's the solution. Something else makes you tick. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, I, yeah I understand what you're saying. So, I mean, if, 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 if you're looking for help, you know, I'll gladly give you my number and we can call off air where it's it's a more private setting and uh, and and we can do what we have to do to get you the help that you need and deserve if you want. If not, that's fine, too. So if you have a pen, I'm just going to give you my number. And 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 if you want to call, cool. If you don't, cool. That's all right. All right, man. Uh, yeah, pen. I think I. Uh, well, I, I would have to find a pen real quick, but I, I think I saw your your. Uh, you gave out the number on one of your other videos, or the ones they sh the ones that they showed while I was over there. Yeah, so it's the same number, um, six one zero six three five nine zero nine two. All right, man. All yeah, right. I'll, I'll probably I'll probably give you a call, man. All right, brother. I'll be here when you call. 
All right, cool. God bless. All right, later. Well, that's uh, that's all the time we have here, ladies and gentlemen, on the Novak and Franz show. It went a lot faster than I thought. I was going to say, I think this was a good show because time went really fast. And that's a good indication of, of a good product. You know, I expected there to be more comedy, but uh, I it's interesting the way these things unfold. Well, the funniest part of this episode was fucking CJ blowing every call. <laughs> way to go, CJ. He was so scared the first call. He was like, oh, no, the first call. And then he drops it's it. Oh, my <laughs> but, but they hung up. It wasn't. Yeah. But let me end with a joke. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Just go have a drink now. <laughs> All right. This is really quick. Okay. So there's there's a young French immigrant. And his name is Pierre. So he goes to his first day of school. And uh, the teacher says, well, Pierre, tomorrow I'd like you to come to school having learned three new English words. And so Pierre, after school, he goes to the airport. And he sees an airplane take off. And he says, ah, take off. So then he goes to the zoo. And he sees a guy petting a zebra. And he says, ah, a zebra. And then he goes to the park. And he sees a woman pushing a stroller with a baby. And he says, ah, baby. So then the next day at school, his teacher says, so Pierre, tell us, what are your three new English words? And Pierre says, take off the bra, baby. Ah, ha, ha. More importantly, go to brandonnovak.com, pick up a copy of the Brandon Novak Chronicles uh, or Amazon. Until next week. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Amazon.com. Brandon Novak Chronicles. Wait, you just said that. Yeah. I know, Franz. Fuck, I, I wasn't laughing. Gay jokes. I was laughing at my own oh, joke. Oh, yeah, we, we. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> All right. See you next time, everybody. Love you. Thank you for experiencing that with us, guys.